Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Want to change? There we go. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Spending some of your Friday evening with us. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I am also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find more information about our transparency and accountability work both in Chicago and around the country at chicagojustice.org. So we have a great show for you today. Our main segment is about um, a recent appearance in the last two days, I think on Wednesday, of Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox and Sharon Mitchell, the Cook County new Cook County Public Defender. They were on Chicago tonight talking about bail reform, bond reform, the allegations coming from the superintendent. I should say repeated, repeated, repeated allegations coming from the superintendent and the mayor. Um so strap yourselves in. We also have uh, Alderman Napolitano on Fox News National. We have Alderman Beal. Yes, that one who was president of the, at that time, Police and Fire Committee and did nothing during his term and basically did nothing on that committee's entire time. We have the data to prove it. And then we have Alderman Lopez on our social media fails. He loves failing on social media. He's like a pro at it now. Okay, so... Before we get into that, I want to talk about sponsoring this show. If you want to, if you're interested in sponsoring this go this show, go to chicagojustice.org or hit us up at any of the social media platforms you're watching this on, or at info at chicagojustice.org, and we'll customize a sponsorship program that fits your budget. We would really appreciate it. Help us stream whole kinds of additional content than what we're doing three days a week now. I'm hopefully going to be starting to stream the police board meetings every third Thursday of the month soon. So hopefully we'll be able to add that. But we need your help in sponsoring those efforts. Okay, we're going to go to our first um, our first segment here. Now this has, let me give you some context. Bond reform started in 2017, ladies and gentlemen. Crime didn't go up in 17. Crime didn't go up in 18. Crime didn't go up in 19. Now, all of a sudden, with the pandemic, violent crime shootings have gone up in all the major cities and pretty much all the cities around the country. Now, Lightfoot and Mayor Lightfoot and Brown are trying to um, push this as if that's one of the main drivers. People being out on bond reform, you know, out on bail. And some of them are accused of murder. Now, a couple things, as I've said this many times on this show. Bail was meant to make sure people show up to court. The science shows people of all kinds of different crime types, allegation types, show up to court like 80, 85% of the time, regardless of whether or not they have bail. Secondly, the reform allows judges, if they deem someone a... Um, threat, a serious threat to the community, they can remand them. Other than that, they have to give them an affordable bail. The principle behind bail reform is simple. A rich person should not get out of jail for something that a poor person has to sit in and wait for their trial. The police, the, um, the politicians, they know like them. They want everyone possible sitting in jail because they refuse to take responsibility. It's not so much the police, 
but they're starting to grab the police. But the politicians refuse to take responsibility for their votes and their policies and practices that are creating the circumstances in these communities that are driving violence. I've talked about it a hundred times. So Brown and life would have been going off and off and off. We had the 4th of July weekend. We had the city council meeting before the 4th of July weekend. Then after and the 4th of July weekend was a disaster in Chicago. No surprise. They're never very good in Chicago, really. And they came out firing both barrels at the court. And they're starting to try to back down against the state's attorney because the state's attorney has the data to prove that it's not bond reform and not people out on electronic monitoring or out on bail that are committing these gun offenses. Does it mean none of them commit gun offenses? No, it just means the number is so small to not meaningfully contribute to the spike in violence in Chicago. So if you listen carefully over the last week or two, they're starting to get away from attacking Kim Fox and starting to more go more towards the courts. So, real quick. Oh no, let's go to clip one. This is about uh, Superintendent Brown and what he had to say about the courts. Um, and they played this on Chicago tonight, and I think it's really interesting. So we're going to play it in about a minute and a half, and then we're going to um, come back and discuss. Yesterday, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown spoke about this weekend's violence in the courts. Here he is. I hear a lot about what the state's attorney is doing. She charged these people with murder that we brought before them, that we've arrested. And the courts, the courts released them back into the community, creating an unsafe environment for all of us in the crowd when retaliation occurs, when street justice occurs. Kim Fox, what's your reaction to that statement? Well, listen, we do charge people with crimes and judges have to make a determination based on the facts of the present case, someone's background um, and their assessment of their risk. And the reality is the Constitution has to guide those determinations. And the Constitution says the judges have to set um, bail that's affordable. And lost in the conversation is the fact that there are truly thousands of people who are out on bail or electronic monitoring now. And as P.D. Mitchell just said, the numbers don't substantiate the claims that the, the police chief has made. As horrifying, as horrific this past weekend was, um, and for the loss of life in the communities that have been uh, disrupted and generations that have lost family members, um, we also must recognize, as heartbreaking as that is, that we have to tell the truth about what the data shows and what these policies are doing. Okay, so there's the superintendent. One thing the mayor and the superintendent are really, really good at is pointing fingers at others. That has been to some degree their whole public relations strategy, if that's what you call this thing, about crime and violence. It's all about, all about, all about pointing fingers. That's what they like to do. They, the, the mayor, I mean, it's horrible. We're still... Coming out of the pandemic, although cases are rising a little bit in Chicago with the Delta variant, they're not, there haven't been meaningful, significant structural change to what's going on in the city to change the circumstances in these communities. It's just not what they're interested in doing. And so thus you have a police department that is incapable of doing what it needs to do. Um, because they don't have the tools, they can't change the circumstances in these communities. 
once again, I'll say it, they get far too much of the credit when crime goes down and far too much of the blame when crime goes up. Remember that. But Brown here is just propaganda lying. It's all BS. This is what he did in Dallas, and he brought it to Chicago. Once again, he was a horrific pick. So now we're going to get to our second clip in this segment, which is Lightfoot. And this one, Lightfoot um, complaining about the courts. And this runs about two minutes. I'll see you on the other side. So uh, we also heard from the mayor on this a couple of weeks ago uh, as well. Here's what she said. Cook County has to open up for criminal trials. The Chicago Police Department is doing its part. It's investigating, it's being proactive, it's arresting people and bringing them to justice. But then the cases sit and sit and sit. And we have way too many people out on pretrial release because the courts are effectively closed. So on June 21st there, the mayor saying courts have not been open, but while jury trials were suspended during the pandemic, we know that Cook County courts uh, reopened that or started those jury trials back up in March. Uh, criminal courts were open at the time that the mayor said this. Sharon Mitchell, to you again, why do you think the mayor continues to push this particular message? Well, listen, I, I think that we put both the, the mayor and the police superintendent in a bad place. We assume that they are going to solve this gun violence problem with the snap of the finger. We're looking at the courts or the police to solve a problem that we've seen exists across the entire country. Uh, cities from California to New York, uh, everywhere in between, whether we have Republican or Democratic leadership, have not been able to stem the tide of gun violence. And the reality of the situation is, is that, that we want more different results. If we want to actually see more peace, we will have to reevaluate how we approach gun violence. Listen, we spend about $4 billion as a region every year on responses to gun violence, things that happen after someone is shot. For instance, police and prosecutors, court systems and the like. We spend about $150 million on actually solving conflicts and stopping conflicts before they're happening. Until we address that ratio, we will continue to get the same results we've seen year after year after year. Okay, so the crime lab, which, by the way, is incredibly police-friendly. It's so police-friendly. One of their top officials, Jens Ludwig, wrote a horrible, despicable uh, voodoo academics piece for Rom about how mandatory minimums need to be put in for gun offenders. So much so that he told me on a phone call when I tried to get him out to Joliet, where I taught, that he wouldn't talk about it anymore publicly. That's how a piece of crap that was. And they've done research to prove that it isn't bail reform. It isn't people out on bail. It isn't bail reform driving the violence. Then on top of that, you have another university filled with two professors, um, Don Steeman and Dave Olson from Loyola University's Criminal Justice Criminology Department, who did another independent analysis of it. They did theirs, I think, for some organization in New York. It wasn't paid for by the county. They did their own analysis and proved it wasn't bail reform or bond reform. That isn't enough for the superintendent. He, if you get, is very much like Trump, very much also like McCarthy and a bunch of the past superintendents. They will never let a fact stand in their way of their agenda. This violence is not, ladies and gentlemen, look at me, is not driven by bail reform. It is not. You know how I know? 
because crime is up and almost violence is up in almost every major is every major city and every, just about every city in the country is experiencing gun violence issues. How could it be bail reform? There's only bail reform in so many of those cities. It can't be. It can't be the main driver. But Brown doesn't. Brown wants to point fingers because his strategies are not working. Now I don't think there's much the police can do. To be honest, reality. But Brown will lie to you and tell you he can. So he's got to take the pain when he says he can do it for not doing it. So I have no sympathy for the man. I have no sympathy for the mayor either. They keep spinning this um, and trying to point the fingers at other people. This is just how they do their thing. Um, crime is going to go down. Bail reform is going to stay in place and crime is going to go down in Chicago as the pandemic continues to wane. Hopefully the new variants don't put us back in lockdowns or anything, but if the economy keeps growing like it is, jobs keep coming back, the violence is going to wane. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move to our second segment. This is Alderman Napolitano, Chicago's North Side, an ex-cop. And where is he speaking? Not to the Chicago media. He's speaking to Fox News, the national Fox News. You know, that that bastion of integrity. They're not being sued for pushing the election fraud machine issue thing, are they? Oh, I think they are, right? Their nighttime people have gotten out of, are trying to get out of being sued about pushing that by saying they're not journalists. They're just entertainers so they can lie. So we're going to take a look. This segment, it runs four minutes and 30 seconds, and I was going to clip it, but I just really think it's best if you just see it all at one piece, then we're going to come and talk about it. Okay, so I will see you on the other side. Well, a bloody weekend in the Windy City. At least 10 people are dead and 35 are hurt in shootings across Chicago. Chicago Alderman and former police officer Anthony Napolitano joins us now to react. Good morning to you, sir. You know, one of the people who was shot and killed over the weekend was a 19-year-old member of the National Guard. He, he was just about to turn 20 years old and he wanted to become a police officer and his life was taken this weekend. And uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has made statements saying that she thinks that illegal guns are the problem in the city. What do you think? Yeah, I've been asked that question numerous times, and I, I think that's pure nonsense. Um, we have the, stiff, the, the strongest and the strictest uh, gun laws in, in the state, if not the country. Uh, and if you go to our surrounding borders right now, uh, where we're supposedly getting all the guns for, they have nowhere near the amount of crime that we do. We have a people problem here in Chicago. I've been saying this for a long time. We have zero accountability for parents in the city of Chicago. Nobody's raising their kids anymore. The gangs are raising them. We have a state's attorney that is by far the worst in the nation, and it's all a trickle down effect. This is what we're, this is what we're running up with right now. Well, uh, your fellow alderman Raymond Lopez, he sits on the other side of the political aisle, but he is equally criticizing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Take a listen to what he has to say. The mayor is not up to the job to keeping the city of Chicago safe, and we want her on record, not in a backroom meeting. We want her on record to explain how she's going to keep Chicago and safe. It is out of control, and we need to get some results that keep people safe. So is there pressure on Lori Lightfoot among um, local leaders like yourself? Because I, I struggle to think that there is. I mean, I'm sure she does have some support at the local level because she still is um, implementing these policies that are, are really affecting and sort of undercutting uh, the police officer's ability to do their job. So what's the local dynamic there? 
Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Actually, just this last Friday, uh, Alderman Lopez, myself, and another Alderman, Alderman Beal, we uh, put together a special city council meeting, uh, and we got actually up to 47 aldermen to show up on behalf of this crime issue and what the mayor is going to do and how she's going to be held accountable for this. Uh, this the superintendent of police actually showed up as well, and we kind of grilled them all. And at the end, it realized it's kind of a smoke and mirror tactic right now. There is no real plan in place. So as legislators, I just think that we have to change the, the dynamic of the way we go after crime. Yeah. We're going to have to hit crime in the pocket, and that's the only way we're going to do it. They're, they're hurting us financially, so we're going to have to hurt, start hurting crime financially as well. What do you mean by that? So everything that we do as far as our officers, when they, when they arrest these criminals, these handguns, these people on the street, these wildings that are looting and destroying our city, uh, pretty much when they hit the cell, they're out within a couple hours because we have the worst state's attorney in the country wants to prosecute nobody. So as legislators, if we start changing the way our city ordinances are written, we could start hitting criminals in, in the pocket on by, behalf of what crimes they're committing in the city of Chicago alone. State's attorney could drop all of her charges every day of the week like she's been doing, but we should take care of it more at the local level, and that's a way that we could start curbing uh, crime here. Yeah, interesting. It's, it's a tactic that a couple of us are, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Okay, uh, yeah, and you know, th just to be fair to the mayor, this is a problem that does predate her, so you're saying that there could possibly be a financial solution to it. Uh, you were a police officer. What sort of um, issues are police officers facing now that you weren't when you were on the beat? Um, we weren't afraid to be the police. And I don't mean that to slight the police officers. They love being the police. But right now, they, they know there's nobody backing them. All these aldermen that, that different parts of the city want them to go out and combat crime, but they'll be the first ones to throw them under the bus if something goes the wrong way. We're averaging over 6,000 people shot in the last 18 months. This is a war zone. Things are going to go wrong. The officers can't be held accountable for everything that happens. So you have to let them be the police or we're never going to get ahead of this crime yeah, issue. Yeah. And, and that's, what, that's I didn't have that when I was a cop, but it was go out and do the job. You know, Anthony, you're so right. I was talking to a police officer. I was in Chicago last weekend, and he was saying that it's not so much the defund issue. It's sort of just being demoralized uh, and, and feeling like you can't do your job because the uh, the mayor and, and the, the local leaders aren't there to support you. So you got to get support for the police so they could do their job and keep streets safe. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. A lot of craziness, cluelessness to go in there. First of all, did you get like not like the? Did you get the taste, the vibe of not liking facts? So, science, two different labs, two independent sets of academics, different schools, different relationships with the police department, and the prosecutor's office and everything have looked at bond reform and says it isn't it. He doesn't care. Don't, because they won't let facts interfere with their ideology. He knows. White, straight, male, he knows. Right? Do you get Trumper in there? He knows. He just knows. Don't worry about what the experts say. The experts are always wrong. He knows. So, it's, let's talk about the propaganda. Strictest gun laws in the country. BS. That's bullshit. Plain and simple, ladies and gentlemen. Why do I know? Because the strict law that they're talking about is a city ordinance. It never even gets prosecuted. Never. They charge it and then they drop it. Because unlawful use of a weapon, the state law has much more serious consequences. The city law is propaganda. 
it was excuse me it was there for mayor daly and the others before him to say we have strict gun laws that law is meaningless but and he's an alderman and a cop and he should know both but he doesn't he, he does know he's just lying that's what he does now tell me again let me ask you the question ladies and gentlemen what sense does it make for a cop to be pro second amendment how is it safe for cops who the vast majority of or a huge majority of their calls when there's anything to do with violence is domestic violence and domestic disturbances going into homes where they don't know whether or not there's a gun in there how is that safe for them they don't care they don't care they just want everyone to have they want all white people especially to have guns he says it's not guns indiana's got the loose laws and look they don't have the violence well yes your urban areas baby in indiana do have the violence gary was the murder capital of the world for god knows how long no 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 he that is just wrong it's just that 98 percent of indiana is rural you can't compare rural and in and urban it just doesn't work worst state's attorney's office ever why oh because they're doing this bond reform thing the bond reform thing that um Two different sets of academics, unrelated to each other, have said the main program you're complaining about doesn't have any impact on violence. That's the worst one. Okay. This, their, their, their speech here, Lopez, Alderman Lopez, we'll get to him in a minute too. And Napolitano, this is all theater. They're just as useless as all most of the other aldermen. They've done nothing to change the economics of the city. They don't care. They don't care. He wants to attack them economically. So he's going to attack people that come from the most underserved, under-resourced, underemployed, most struggling, most disenfranchised communities. We're going to attack people like that financially. Think about it a minute, people. Think about it. If you're willing to go do a drive-by and worried about retaliation from whoever you tried to do the drive-by, are you going to worry that you got a $1,000 fine for that offense from the city? And if you have no money, Alderman Napolitano, there's a thing called judgment proof. There's a phrase. You should go learn it. Which means when you're broken, you have no resources. The financial penalties that you can place on those people are meaningless. <clears throat> are meaningless. This is just all so stupid. It's all so stupid. This is, and also, ladies and gentlemen, don't be fooled for a minute. This is Napolitano fighting any effort to put in any kind of police accountability. He seems to be fine with the Laquan McDonald murder. And we can go on and on and on and on about the corruption in the city, in the police department. He must be fine with all of it. Um, I don't know what to say, but this is all theater about not wanting to put in accountability. Um, he doesn't want any accountability for the cops of any kind ever for anything. I mean, so what does he do? He goes, I don't know what he thinks that's getting him on Fox News. Other than his other Trumpers all giving him fist bumps at the family party or something. I don't understand what he, he does. He think Chicagoans care what's on Fox News. I, I don't understand. I don't understand the political calculus there. Who am I? Okay, so our, 
Our next segment, let's not go too far down the road. Instead of Fox National, we're going the Fox Local. This is Mike Flannery in this piece, the journalist. I guess we still got to kind of call him that. I wouldn't really call him that, but anymore. Most parties gone off the deep end. Him and Greg Hines were complaining, I think in August, at a press conference that Fox did to push back at what the mayor and Brown were talking about, about it being all, this is August of last year, all, the, the reason we had a second surge in the, in the unrest is because the prosecutor's office hasn't put people, you know, prosecuted people. As if prosecutions from May to August take only a couple of months. Yep, that would have been, yep, jury trial, seated, selected, trial goes, yep, only in a couple of months. It happens all the time. If only one of them had experience. Oh, Brown, 30 years as a police officer. I think he'd know that. Yeah, he did. He was lying. And let's see, Lightfoot. Oh, it's right. She's an assistant U.S. attorney. She knows that too. So, in fact, they were both lying. But anyways, Fox holds a press conference to push back. And Mike Flannery and Greg Hines, they're very they're very similar now. Um, neither one's worth a crapola. But push back. On, and they were questioning Fox about why didn't... You know, it's your fault and why these convictions and why you haven't prosecuted these people. And Fox is like, the courts have been shut down since before the unrest started because of COVID, my friends. They're just now about to start opening up. How are we supposed to prosecute anyone? What are you talking about? Now, the biggest problem is that is these two, Flannery and, and Hines, bought the bullshit from Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown they should have known the courts were closed. If they're going to go to that press conference, both of them, and they're going to do those questions, they should have known that. But once again, you're talking about white males that don't let facts stand in the way of their ideology. So they took what was fed to them by the mayor, hook, line, and sinker, and the superintendent went and got, went and got they were going to get Fox. Show how tough a journalist they are. Asking her, pushing her to get her to explain why she didn't get convictions on people in like three months from the original unrest in three months while the courts were completely shut down from before the unrest happened till still till they were just opening and just starting to open. I don't think they had opened up yet. It's the dumbest question in the history of the world. They should have been, they should have been fired. They, as soon as they got back to their jobs, they should have been fired. Or maybe just called up on the phone by their bosses and terminated right there and there. You don't go to that press conference without knowing that answer. And you don't ask such a stupid question. Also, both those guys, they're old. They're old. They know it doesn't. It takes more than three months to prosecute someone. We have people that sit in Cook County Jail two, three, four, five years before they get their day in court. They were expecting them to be convicted within three months? No, they fed the bullshit by... Lori Lightfoot, and they just pushed it. You're supposed to be a check to power, gentlemen, not a megaphone. But too, all too often, you're a megaphone. Here we go with megaphone. Here we go with it. This is Alderman Beal, Ninth Ward, useless as can be. His, he's just plain useless. He was, he's been on the police and fire committee forever. Never done a damn thing on police accountability or policing. Nada, nada, nada. Go look on our website. We have the report. Uh, committee on Public Safety 20-Year Analysis is the name. It's up there. Click on the news section. You'll get to it. 
<laughs> Done nothing. He was, because Ike Carruthers, another useless alderman, went to prison. Beale was chairman for like a year. What did he do during that year? Nothing. What has he done the entire time he's on the committee? Nothing. But here he is again repeating a mantra he wants about the fact that we need to bring in the National Guard into Chicago. A force not trained in civil rights, a force not trained with search and seizure, a force that's not trained in just doing policing. We need to bring them in. Okay, so this one runs 157. And then uh, I'll be back with you. Alderman face off after the year's deadliest weekend of criminal violence. Our political editor Mike Flannery joining us now with more on this ongoing crisis. Mike. Well, Anthony and Sally, the mayor ignored the rising chorus calling her to account for not delivering yet on campaign promises to reduce violence. The mayor did promise new help for victims and others who've been grievously hurt by the violence. I can't imagine losing your child and then feeling like your pain and your suffering isn't heard, isn't reflected. And we've got to do more as a city. And I take on that responsibility and that obligation to make sure that we are programmatically reaching out and providing more support to the victims, the survivors, and the witnesses. And we will do that. Details to come in the days ahead, the mayor said. The, she and Police Superintendent Brown have been critical of others in the criminal justice system. State's attorney Kim Fox tweeted a reply late today. Finger pointing instead of talking honestly about the violence plaguing our city doesn't help bring solutions that make our community safer. It starts with apprehending those who pull the trigger. Police must make an arrest before a case reaches the courthouse door. A Southside alderman wants the Illinois National Guard to patrol downtown in the wake of this past weekend's unrest and violence there. We need to bring in the National Guard to secure the perimeter of downtown and, and uh, to work along with the police to free up more officers to come from downtown back into the communities where we can help you know, flood the communities where the resources have been taken out of. Asked about Alderman Beale's proposal, Mayor Lightfoot dismissed him as a critic who, quote, likes to grandstand, and she lamented that reporters even cover him at all. She added, quote, I don't have to say anything more about him. I'm political editor Mike Flannery. All right, we're back. There's Alderman Beale. He's like a uh, energizer bunny. Every time there's spikes in crime, he wants to bring the National Guard in. Hey, Alderman, how about in between the spikes in crime, you propose and pass real meaningful economic, uh, real meaningful legislation that'll bring real economic change to these communities? How about taking that TIF money, tax increment finance money, and putting it towards the communities on the south and west side? Because you're delusional if you think the National Guard coming into Chicago is suddenly going to change these communities. Delusional. That's why no one's bringing them into their cities. Because everyone knows it's delusional. It won't make a difference. These spikes cry, come and go. They're horrible. I don't want anyone to get murdered. But can we have some rational policy making? This is just reactionary. This is him just trying to get on the news. He likes getting on the news calling for the National Guard, even though everyone else around him knows it's a joke. And when you call a flood 
you want to flood communities with resources, Alderman? How about not making them people with guns? How about flooding it with economic resources? Propose something. Work with your colleagues. Get something passed. But do we expect anything from you or most of the city council on that? Mm-mm-mm-mm. No, no. No, no. No, of course not. You were on police and fire for many years. I think you're still on the public safety committee, which is what it's called now. Where are all your long-term solutions, Alderman? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Devoid. You're devoid of them. You just like when crime spikes. You don't like it when it spikes, but you like to say when it spikes and gets on the news and gets you on the pa- in the paper, bring in the National Guard. Everyone knows it's wrong. That's why no one in any other city around the country has ever done it. Bring them in. You're full of Band-Aids. That's what you are. You're the Band-Aid man. How about a solution, man? How about a cure? Your lack and you and your colleagues' lack of changing economic circumstances of these communities is why we're in the situation we're in. And we're going to be in this situation a year or two or three or four from now. We're going to keep repeating this. Do something. You're in the seat of power. Do something, Alderman, besides press conferences. Pass some meaningful legislation. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a quick break with some information about our nation program. If you're interested in getting more info about it, cjpnation.org. And we'll be back in one minute to talk about a piece in the South Southside Weekly about um, who defines a mass shooting. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, we are back and we're going to talk about an article that is interesting and from the Southside Weekly. And the title is, Who Defines a Mass Shooting? And the answer, I guess, is, because it's in the title, the media. And I don't disagree, but I'm going to read some of this, and I'm going to take a counter-approach to this. Um, I'm going to um, argue the opposite side. I don't assume for a minute that a change in coverage is going to get us... um, Maybe they can find a way to do the coverage better, but I don't think increased coverage of how the coverage is now um, is really our solution. So my question for you as we go through this, and let me know if you have thoughts in the chat, is whether or not more coverage helps. More coverage of the coverage we have helps. I'm not so sure it does. So let's take some a look at some of the quotes here. There's a hierarchy to gun violence, said Lakidra Chavez, Chavez, 
who I've invited to be on this show to talk about this very topic. I just sent her an email, I think, this morning or yesterday. Um, hopefully she responds and comes on. She's from the Trace in Chicago. So there's a hierarchy to gun violence. I think the way we talk about mass shootings in a very specific way that excludes the mass shootings that happen in Chicago creates a hierarchy that disproportionately leaves people of color out of the conversation. Yes. And that's the way it's been forever. Now, I think Chavez, which I think how I pronounce her name, if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. I like generally like a lot of the stuff that Trace does. But I'm not sure an increase in the coverage and the fact that saying mass shootings now in Chicago, in the Chicago media, about what's going on in the Southwest sides, the way it's being done now is helping anything. It's, empower, it's empowering the Napolitanos. It's empowering the Lopez's. It's empowering the Beals. That's not what we want. That's not what you want. It's empowering uh, the John Cotton Zaras, the FOP president. I, I just don't. I just don't think that's what we want. So, is there a difference between terrorism, mass shootings, mass shootings where someone goes kills people at work, or at a movie theater because they just don't like a certain type of people? They have a mental health issue and they just go off. Is there a difference between that and urban crime where they're going to shoot up a corner that has a lot of people on it because they want the corner or they want to get back at a gang member who took their corner or someone who jumps someone and it leads to a shooting? Is there a difference between that type of urban stuff, urban shootings that would be technically mass shootings because they have a number of victims? Is there a difference between that mass shooting that's related to urban violence and what's going on in those other, um, other shootings that I described in the beginning? The media has always treated it that way. I had a colleague I taught with who didn't, and I I highly questioned that practice as, as not leading to good outcomes for the communities they're trying to get outcomes for. So here's a quote from Eddie Bocanegra, who has been on this show with people from... Um, where people from Chicago Cred and uh, Communities Partnering for PCP4P, Eddie Bocanegra, is from Ready Chicago. And here is his quote. Why, why is it their lives were not... All right, why, is it, why is it their lives were not as worth covering as other lives, he asked. It is because we see these people as innocent. We see these other people as innocent because they were sitting in a beauty shop or were in a school or in a movie theater or a church or a synagogue. That, that's, pro, that's probably true to some extent. Now, I would say to some extent, there is different cures and different approaches to how to deal with those two different types of shootings, the ones in the churches and the synagogues and stuff like that, and the movie theaters, than dealing with urban violence. I don't think they lump together for solutions, solutions purposes. Once again, I pose, is more coverage better? I'm not so sure. So let's go on with the article. A 2017 study in the Journal of Crime and Justice examined the Times coverage of the New York Times, 90 mass shootings between 2000 and 2012. They found that the Times disproportionately allocated coverage of the highest fatality shootings, 
For nearly 78% of mass shootings included in the study, there were fewer than five articles written. So should all shootings, no matter how many victims, get the same coverage? Does a mass shooting, I think it has to like three or four, we'll get to that number, differ from one with eight, 10, 12, 15, 50? Should a street corner where five or six people get, let's say, killed in a shoot mass shooting, should that be treated the same by the media as one where there was the Las Vegas shooting? Or Sandy Hook. I mean, we can, go, <laughs> we can go on and on and on and on and on. Columbine. Should they get the same coverage? I think those results are interesting. I'm just not sure what they mean. Because it seems like they're saying they should all get exactly the same coverage. I'm not so sure that's true. And I'm not trying to say one set of victims is less worth less. They're not. But... Should a single shooting get the same coverage as a single shoot, a shooting where one person dies get the same coverage from the media where six people die or 12 people die? Should a drive-by that kills one person in Chicago get the same coverage as the shooting that I believe it was in Inglewood where at least five people have died and I think three other people were shot in the head? Should that get the same coverage? I think it's a good question to have and I think it's a great discussion to have and that's why I'm hoping to have Lakeisha uh, Chavez on the show because I want to have this and I want to continue it even after our conversation with her. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. So the article continues. Coverage of mass shootings is often framed by the way a newsroom defines what constitutes one. Many newsrooms and database search and, and databases such as the Violence Project use the Congressional Research Services definition. Here's the definition. A multiple homicide incident in which four or more victims are murdered with firearms, not including the offenders, within one event, and at least some of the murder, murderers occurred murders occurred in the public, in a public location or locations in close geographical proximity, e.g., workplace, school, restaurant, or other public settings, and the murders are not attributed to any other underlying criminal activity or commonplace circumstance. Armed robbery criminal competition, gang involved, right? Insurance fraud argument or romantic triangle. Okay, they are trying to differentiate gang violence or drug market violence or turf war violence over a more randomized gun violence incident where four or more people die. Again, should they all be covered the same? I'm still not convinced. And I honestly, I shouldn't say convinced. I don't know the answer. So let's get to the last quote. Media attention gives our country a misunderstanding about the burden of gun violence, said Cassandra Crafasi, Deputy Director of the John Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy. It over-accentuates these extremely rare mass shootings that, that are happening in, in these locations and under-emphasizes the daily gun violence that's happening which clouds our understanding of what effective gun solutions are to reduce gun violence in our country. I'm not so sure that's true. I think if you look at mass is the national level news. If you look at the front page of the Washington Post, New York Times, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News to some extent, they are not playing up urban violence the way they are rant these random shootings. There's no doubt about it. 
The question I have, do we want them to do it? It seems that Crefasi says yes. I'm not so sure. Now, is gun violence undercovered in any major city around this country? Maybe not in the New York Times. You don't think every television and radio and other paper in New York City is covering New York violence? I'm sure that in the middle of the New York Times, there's plenty of violence coverage. Crefasi makes it seem like she's talking about that. I'm not so sure that's true. I think to some extent, and we're coming out with a study about a month from now, maybe a little more, looking at media coverage of violence in Chicago. I'm not so sure that's true. I'm pretty sure we're going to blow... Um, we're going to show you just how relative to its occurrence in Chicago, even gun violence to some extent is overcovered. And in a, I also would say totally inappropriately covered. But compared to just the most common violence that happens in our city, the most common type of violence that people are calling 911 about, it's not even close. The disproportionate level of between what's called call for service and occurrence and then media reporting, oh my God, the disparity between what's the most common and how often it gets reported is unbelievably not the case. That disparity is huge. I'm not going to leak our results to you right now, but I'm going to tell you that's coming. It's coming later this summer. And the results are staggering. Staggering. Um, so I understand what Crefasi is talking about on the national level. But is the national level supposed to cover typical, commonplace urban violence? I don't think so. There would be filled 24 hours a day with gun violence stories. I don't think that helps. I don't think that makes the world better. Secondly, if I may, um, I think there probably is reason to argue that local jurisdiction, local media in cities covers it too much covers it too much and certainly covers it inappropriately. Um, I'm going to try to get Fassi on the show to talk about this because, again, both with her um, her comments and um, Chavez's comments, I, I'm not sure, I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I think it's a great discussion to have. Um, when we, we did our first study in 2013 on violence against women, a year of it, violence against women coverage in the Trib and Sun-Times, domestic violence sexual assault coverage, horrible, horrible results. And we tried, but unsuccessfully, to get a program started where we would take non-academic researchers and non-profit advocates like the violence against women, uh, domestic violence service providers, sexual assault service providers, people who work on gun violence, and put them and put their journalists from the mainstream media through a boot camp. So they would know, like, dispel all the myths. How does this really happen? How often are these things actually occurring? How does, what's the big picture on violence? and victimization, how victims are supposed to respond, and all of that. We tried to get that funded. We had a general commitment from the editor at the Sun-Times. I can see his name. I can see his face. I can't remember his name. He had a general in that. We had a, an event at the um, Union League Club. He, in general terms, agreed to put him, if we could get it project funded, he would put his reporters through it. Never happened. Never got it funded. The Tribune totally axed it. Wanted nothing to do with it. 
Okay, we're going to move on to our last segment tonight. And what a better one to leave with than Alderman Lopez on social media. In our social media fails, Lopez style edition because he does it so often. So this, for our podcast audience, we have a tweet from Alderman Lopez, which I am going to read to you. And it's got a picture of Mayor Lightfoot and um, from a press conference and a letter that he sent to Mayor Lightfoot a couple years ago, I guess. Um, oh, no, I guess a year ago in June. Huh. Okay. Now, all these images and all the videos we show will be up on our website when the podcast posts. So go to our site if you're listening to to the podcast, you can go to our site and get all the images and videos for yourself. Okay, um, here's the tweet. Safe assumption, Lightfoot completely ignored my letter sent in June 2020, outlining strategies to reduce violence based on what, what worked in the 15th Ward. Again, her arrogance is costing Chicagoans their lives. How much longer will we tolerate David Brown and at Chicago Mayor? Now, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to show the the letter because it doesn't come up well enough for you to read the pictures the images we've got them they will be on our website so let's see what he does here's a first thing that happens ladies and gentlemen he calls gang members what they really are urban terrorists now i can tell you i have so many peer-reviewed scientific articles that talk about if you just refer to people as urban terrorists they stop committing violence and crime. If only we knew. If only some politician that washed out and lost his next election, actually next couple of elections, I think. Um, if we could point to one who lost his next couple of elections after bringing up the same crapola. Oh, that's right, we do. Richard Boykin, those may not remember him. He was a Cook County board member. He lost his race for re-election. Then he ran for Cook County board chair and got crushed him and Fioretti combined, I think, took one-eighth of the vote for Preckwinkle. Um, he was also the urban terrorist kind, I guess. I'm not sure if it's just, I'm not sure what it is. If you call people urban terrorists, they will stop committing crime. So just to let you know, this is Lopez being delusional. That small, meaning, almost meaningless things he's done that have been done a hundred times in wards all over the city and continue to be done have somehow reduced violence in the 15th ward. He's this king of correlation equals causation. Lopez should be the crime fighter for all urban centers around the country. If only one had ever thought of doing any of these things. So you, you call them urban terrorists. You call out those gangbangers. That makes huge impact. Next, he used the trouble building ordinance to shut down trouble buildings and address them. God, I wish someone had thought about that before. I wonder how long that ordinance has been around. It may have been under daily. Hmm. I wonder why no other alderman used them. Because if they just used that alone, it should have just solved crime in their neighborhoods. People should tell it to others on the south and west sides. Increased visible presence of police in the 7th and 9th district. Doesn't do any good. Science proves over and over and over and over and over again, Alderman Lopez does not work. At best, at best, Alderman Lopez, it pushes it. So, depending on how your scientific experiment which you don't believe in science so you don't have any were to be there yeah you may have you put a on a couple of beats you 
huge amount of police, most of the time all you do is push it to other beats. It's called displacement, not elimination, my friend. Displacement, not a not something you should be proud of. I'm sure the people that you displaced that crime to in the areas you were concentrating on and then you pushed it to other areas, those other people in the other areas love you. I mean, I would. I, there's nothing like I want is, but I want aldermen to spend a bunch of city money pushing crime on to where I live. They're identifying gang members. Yeah, that's never been done before, my friend. The way of a gang book doesn't help. Shutting down bad businesses happens all the time in all the wards. Bad businesses contribute a little bit. There's no doubt about it. Curing the violence in your area? Eh, fail. Working with Ready Chicago? Okay, that's great. But even Eddie Bocanegra said on our show, and the people from Chicago Crat, and the people from CP43, Vaughn, something I can't remember their names, sorry. Um, but said, these guys know these projects are Band-Aids. So yes, it may help a few. Ready does, no doubt, help some people. It is not gonna. It's not a long-term solution. I'm not even sure this next one is legitimate. Requiring participation in two CAPS meetings before approving Department of Transportation Black Club requests. That's right. The alderman is blackmailing you. You cannot have a Black Club meeting unless I think everyone on your ward, everyone in your beat, goes to a beat meeting. Or is it just the person that signs the application? Sounds illegal and corrupt and utterly, completely, unbelievably useless. Caps a useless program. And we have an alderman who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, pushing you into Caps meetings. You want to know what useless it is? Look up what happened in the 14th District. When Mark Buslick took over, Commander Buslick took over, the first thing he did was kill Caps in the district. There's no science to prove it works. It's all a hocus-pocus and a political re-election uh, strategy by the mayor. They put in SDSC rooms, these uh, data rooms in the, in the districts, license plates readers, officer immersion programs. There's really no evidence that any of those help. No. No. Yes, yeah, some of the areas where they put those rooms, crime went down. But crime went down in other areas in the city faster. Prove it. You have empirical proof that it's those data rooms. You don't. It may be, but there's not. There's no real evidence that it is. He blames the... the he joins McCarthy and... Light, I mean, not McCarthy. Brown and Lightfoot blaming bail reform. Totally flies in defense of two scientific studies. Two, two, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't care. He knows. If you just call them, if you just identify gang members and call them urban terrorists and require people to go to two beat meetings before you sign their application for a black party, you solve it. Just about everything he's claiming here, except working for Ready, is being done. In other places. And it's done nothing. Done nothing. Lopez is talking correlation, not causation. He's um, delusional if he thinks those things together have made a major impact in crime in his area. When he gets to tout it, it's like the same people that were touting ceasefire in Chicago. Don't care if it works. We don't have any science. But there's a correlation, so I won. I know. So sad. Okay, ladies and gentlemen... 
Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We will see you Monday at 530 Central. <clears throat> and there's a good chance we're going to have an interview with um, Sharon Fairley, professor of law at the University of Chicago. She was chief administrator of both the Independent Police Review Authority and then saw oversaw the transformation into the Citizen Office of Police Accountability. And we're going to be talking to her specifically about um, whether or not affiliation a police officer's affiliation with a white supremacist organization, whether proven or alleged, is enough to fire them. People seem to think so, but from my sources, it is not so clear. Okay, thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it. We will see you uh, Monday, 530. Have a great weekend.